And at the end of the day, they all want the same thing. They want the company to succeed, hopefully. And if they don't, that's a bigger problem. But if they do, then you can't have too many relationships, right? It's good to talk to everybody because marketing and sales are going to see the world differently than finance, different than your CEO. Like these are all, and they're all valid perspectives and understanding their motivations is going to help you become a better person that can deal with these sorts of things. Welcome to the Distributed Truth Podcast. Today's B2B SaaS teams all share one thing in common, fragmented customer data. Marketing, sales, customer success, finance, and product teams need better approaches to unified customer data. What does it look like to be data-driven rather than data-inhibited? What is the link between investing in unified customer data and revenue growth? How can we create consistent customer experiences through unified customer data? Join us here at the Distributed Truth Podcast as we interview a wide array of go-to-market revenue operations, technology, and data leaders, all dedicated to solving the problem of fragmented customer data. Hello and welcome to the Distributed Truth Podcast, where we talk all things B2B, go-to-market, and customer data leadership. With me today is Pedram Naveed. Pedram is the former head of data at HighTouch, the reverse ETL platform. Now founder of his own consultancy company, where he helps companies with everything from data to product and marketing. And when he's not helping companies, he's being brutally honest on Twitter about all things data, which we love. How uh, You're a few months into the consulting role, Pedram. How, how is that coming? Uh, I'm enjoying it a lot more than I thought I would, honestly. Uh, I thought this was going to be a stopgap until I figured out what I really want to do. But uh, I'm kind of hooked still. I've been told that wears off eventually, but for now, I got to say, I, I really enjoy it. Is it perhaps a bit like relationships with uh, the dopamine phase of the early days? Uh, we'll see. Yeah. Um, right now, roast into glasses. I really enjoy working with multiple companies on different types of problems. Uh, Keeps it so, interesting. Yeah. And you get to get a bigger understanding of sort of the scope of how people are thinking, right? Mm and whether or not your approach really makes sense, or is it kind of tailored to one type of company or not? One type of company or not, I think that's really important. I remember when I was in consulting around data analytics, social listening, um, the most frequent thing I heard was, our industry is special. Um, yeah, definitely special. I, I will not disagree with that. Yeah, they're unique idiosyncrasies to any industry, but I think uh, it helps people um, when, you know, consultants and partners can bring to the table a, a broad array of experience, right? Um, where they've seen a lot of different data environments and approaches to different solutions. How did you first get started in data? Oh, boy. Um, I think it was, I was still in school, working part-time at a bank, and um they offshored the tech support desk. And so I was one of like four people who was left behind. And with the offshoring came SLAs and contractual agreements and suddenly an affinity for numbers. And the offshore team was sending us PowerPoint presentations with like Excel spreadsheets embedded inside. And that was their way of reporting on sort of the progress. And I thought, gosh, this has got to be a better way. We can't even see more than two months worth of information. What if you want like a timeline, a very simple ask, right? So I started manually copy pasting data from PowerPoint into Excel 
uh, and creating an Excel dashboard. And one thing led to another. I'm always looking for ways to automate and be lazy. Um, that's really the driving factor in every skill I've learned up till now. And so I learned VBA, which eventually led me to Python and then R, rabbit hole into data science, and then the rest is history. The rest is history. You know, I used to be at a small startup and one of the things um, you just made me think of is uh, the COO, Random Inkar, I'll tag her uh, when we share this, but would always tell this story about, uh, she was in media, Fisher Communications for a while, and um, she handed, she turned to her data person and asked about, uh, you know, a certain set of viewership questions, and he sent back a 20-tab Excel spreadsheet, said your answer's in there somewhere, right? And <laughs> that used to be a pretty common thing. I don't think that's quite as acceptable. <laughs> oh, no, it still is. It's just a Google sheet. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's not Excel anymore, which is actually worse, I would say. But uh, that's a different story. That's a different story. Yeah, I, let's talk about that, though, right? I, the gap between the data analyst, data teams, and the business decision, decision maker seems almost never solved. But you seem particularly passionate about it. Um, what does it mean to you to be a data leader who... Uh, strongly desires to um, prioritize business impact and business value? It's, it's a good question and maybe hard one to answer. I think for me anyway, when we talk about business impact, uh, I think as a data leader, you kind of have to take responsibility for it. Like no one's going to give it to you. Um, I've seen a lot of data roles where they just sort of wait to be told what to report on and what to analyze. And then they give some information to someone and hope that they make the right decision. I don't think that really works as a data leader anymore. I think you need to step up and kind of make yourself have a stronger opinion on what things should be like, um, rather than trying to be the sort of information gathering arm of an organization. I think Katie Bauer actually had a great post on her Substack the other day where she talked about these elbow type data leaders instead of heads of data and where they would elbow their way into a conversation and make themselves heard and make sure that they have a seat at the table because no one really is going to give that to you. But as a data leader and a data org, I think you have really a really rare opportunity where you're one of the few um, I would say departments that can be truly neutral for an org. There's maybe HR and finance kind of falls into that. Um, but otherwise, like sales, marketing, product, they all have their own sort of goals and targets and ambitions. A data team can really, if they're organized well and given the authority, they can kind of help neutralize some of that impact and make sure that everyone is accountable and working towards an org's best interest. That's, I think, the data team's superpower, um, but they need to wield it, right? Like, no one's going to give that to you. You need to step up and say, hey, actually, I think the way we're doing marketing attribution is unfairly giving credit to things that don't deserve it or it's underplaying these things. And people won't love you for that, but you kind of have to do it, right? Same with sales. If we have too many salespeople, maybe there's an argument to be made that we need to reduce sales force, right? So. These are not the types of things that are going to come from a sales leader. These are the types of things that have to come from a neutral party, like a data team. And so if you want to have business impact, I think you kind of have to take it. 
Yeah, I think that's really important. I think um, I'd love, there's several things I want to unpack from that, Pedro. But first, would you mind speaking to how you would define business impact? I, I think there are a couple flavors, right? I think a lot of people often think about dashboards reporting, but there's also the sense in which this data about customers, pipeline users exists to create customer experiences, right? That are consistent and cohesive, power the frontline teams to operate smoothly, whether it's CS or sales or marketing. So you talk a little bit about how you would define something as perhaps nebulous as business value. Uh, I think it really boils down to what are your organization's goals, right? Your priorities are gonna be your company's priorities, hopefully, if if you can make that happen. And if your company has priorities, it's a different story as well. But if your company's goals are maybe like revenue or generation or retention, then that's sort of where you're gonna to have to try and make impact. And that impact can come in many flavors, like you said. Maybe it is dashboards and reports. I don't I've never seen a dashboard have a ton of impact. Um I think it's a signal of where you might want to start investigating a barometer of the organization, and that's a start. But if you end there, I think you've sort of lost the game. Um, no one really hires a data team for a dashboard. But but can we pause there? That's that's a really important point. Don't don't you see many data teams stop there? I, I do. Yeah, and I don't think they should. Yeah. Uh, how how do you how do you develop the skills as a data leader, right? To be familiar enough with business concepts to to be that elbowing in personality, right? Thick skinned but empathetic and wise. Uh, it is tough, and it's it's never fun. I think in many ways because you're you're kind of the party pooper. Um, I've always found that nobody cares about data when things are going well, and so trying to convince people that there's a problem is an uphill battle, but as soon as things go wrong, everyone's like, why is this happening? Where's the data? Let's take a look, let's deep dive. So you kind of have to be prepared for when that happens. And um, I think as data people, we're naturally pessimistic because we've seen it all. Every type of data problem has happened a hundred times, uh, if not more. So back to your question, I think you, first of all, you have to understand your business. like. It's not about the data. It's not about the tools. That's not why you were hired. Nobody cares if you're using Snowflake or BigQuery at the end of the day. Uh, what they care about is the health of the company. Do you understand how the company makes money? Do you understand how the company sells their product? Do you understand how the company builds their product? If not, you get to know all of those things. Understand all the metrics that they care about. What is ARR? How is it calculated? What is NRR? What is retention? Why do we care about these things? How do we report to the board? Like you need to understand if you're going to be a leader at a company, what the leaders of the company care about. And then once you have that, then I think the rest actually becomes really easy. But without that, you're just a data analyst at the end of the day. You're not really a data leader. How can, I mean, you know, full agreement, right? I think uh, many people listening to this might feel like that's very difficult to accomplish, right? How have you developed that level of knowledge about business metrics, business outcomes, um, that you're so able to fluently, you know, riff off a few acronyms that they're pretty hot topics right now. Uh, I learned it on the job. I got to say, right. Um, it's just an endless curiosity. There's a ton of information out there, so there's nothing stopping anyone. 
other than time and commitment to learn it, right? Uh, I probably couldn't even tell you how to measure net revenue retention today if I tried, but I know it's a few clicks away every time I need to calculate it. So um, there's great reads out there. If you just search for these terms, there's like great articles on Medium that kind of walk through the key SaaS metrics, for example. And just at a high level, maybe start with like, what industry am I in? What type of business is it? Is it B2B? Is it B2C? Is it a marketplace? Is it a platform? Like whatever that is, there's going to be the standard set of metrics that people use. And so start there, start there and really dive deep. And you could also talk to your CEO. Like there's nothing stopping you from talking to executives and asking them like, what do you care about? What is driving you? What scares you every single day about this business? Yeah, and that's an easy way to attach yourself to value, right? They give you the exact answer they're looking for. Yeah, I think that's important in my own career too. You know, people don't ask for enough help and enough mentorship and guidance. And I know C-suites would love to be approached by their team members to to be. And it sounds like the CFO would be worth talking to for a data leader, right? Like, how can I keep track of the health of the business and and help? that that feedback loop between you know finance and data all the way to strategy and and go to market so we can all win together yeah i mean at the end of the day they all want the same thing they want the company to succeed hopefully and if they don't that's a bigger problem but if they do then you can't have too many relationships right Hmm. it's good to talk to everybody because marketing and sales are going to see the world differently than finance different than your ceo like these are all, and they're all valid perspectives and understanding their motivations is going to help you become a better person that can deal with these sorts of things. Absolutely. Um, what can go-to-market leaders, you know, what's the biggest gap you've seen on their side in terms of their understanding of data? It seems like everyone needs to understand a bit about particularly their customer data, right? Who, who are these people that we are, you know, seeking transactional relationships with? Uh, what can go-to-market leaders in your experience uh, do or learn or study in order to be a, a better partner with data analysts and, and leaders? I don't think it's on them to become better. Uh, I hear a lot of like ideas from data people about how other people can become better at self-serve, for example. Oh, if only they learned SQL, they'd be better at their job. Well. Yeah, if only you learned sales revenue, you'd be better at your job. Like, no one asks data teams to learn about marketing and sales and customer success. Like, we don't. Uh, I don't expect to be very good at any of those things. I could not run a sales team. I don't expect my sales team to learn SQL. Like, that's just not going to happen. It shouldn't happen. Like, they've got better things to do with their time and with their day. And I want them focused on that so that they can do their job well. It's on me to figure out what I need from them. Now, if they're not asking you questions properly, if they're coming to you with asks that don't make sense, like that's a coachable thing and you can work with a leader on that. Like people don't really know how to ask data teams for help and that's okay. I think it's on you to coach and train. It's not on them to sort of just magically learn how to be better partners for data. Yeah, I've seen that in a couple ways. Um, I've seen lots of data leaders lately talking about data contracts and how data quality is the responsibility of the owners of the source systems, which, if I'm going to be honest, feels a bit like saying, you know, um, adhere to our model, 
Uh, and if you don't, well, don't be surprised when your reporting insights data quality has forever problems. Am I missing something there? Um, I've yet to see it implemented. Mm -hmm. So I will, I'll allow time for it to develop. Maybe it's an idea that works. Approach. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Uh, I mean, there's like the baby version of a data contract, which is maybe some tests in production and in development that ensures that when a team pushes some code, it doesn't break some API. That already exists. Teams do that. More teams should. But at the end of the day, um, if data breaks, someone has to fix it. It's probably going to be the data team. And if you can convince others to fix it, good job. Like I'm, I haven't seen it, but I'm for you. I'm with you. So let's talk about something you brought up a second ago, SQL in sales, or I see it a lot in CS teams, um, right? You know, you need a view of the customer, you need to help a customer with a ticket. Well, where's that information, right? How much they're using a product, how they got started even. Salesforce doesn't talk to Zendesk or Jira, doesn't talk to Snowflake, right? This to me seems like a pretty ubiquitous problem. Yeah, it is. And that's, I think, your job as a data leader to, to see that problem. And it's a systemic issue, right? So if you have insight into the org, if you're talking to people, then you're gonna notice there's a lack of access to data. And you don't solve that with teaching people SQL. I think you solve that with like a de better data model. You solve that with making sure you understand like the access patterns and developing things that make it really easy for them to ask questions. Maybe it is a dashboard at the end of the day. Maybe it's like an interactive notebook or a hex style thing. Maybe part of it is SQL with like, I don't know, some sample queries that they can use and play around with. I've seen all those things work, uh, but again, it starts with making sure you understand what are people asking? And then is the data that you prepared for them good enough and easy enough to use that they don't have to figure it out on their own. Like it should be stupidly obvious how to answer questions. And if it's not, that's a data issue, not a customer success issue. I think that's an important point, right? Uh, gathering enough insight as, as a data person about what the business users are asking consistently in order to prioritize and solve those. And it's, you know, I don't think you mentioned this, but ideally, right, that information, what you discover from that gives you the info as a data person to help pipe that information back in or directly into the systems they're using, right? Because chair swiveling crushes go to market. 100%, yeah. And understanding their workflow and working with it is so much more powerful. I used to be of the mind that like, oh, just got the sales team to look at my report in my dashboard. I used to be one of those. Uh, then I learned that's never gonna work. Um, and they're in Salesforce for a reason, it's because they're selling. And so if you want your company selling, you want your sales team in Salesforce, you should put the information they need in there. It's not on them to change their behaviors, it's on you to make it easy for them to do what they need. You know, I wonder, Pedro, this is, this is all very um, helpful, I think, to talk about 
where data leaders can improve. I think Salesforce is worth worth a mention, right? Uh, salespeople are in Salesforce. Salesforce is notorious for creating messes, um, being impossible to drive down the technical debt, and having such a disjointed uh, set of data models and uh, sub-models that even reporting inside of Salesforce about stuff in Salesforce is a nightmare, right? How have you seen, have you seen good approaches to um, cross-object, cross-system reporting, um, or do you feel like that's still a frontier that data innovation needs to address? I've seen it done decently. I've also seen it done terribly. It usually starts terrible for everyone. Uh, and if you're lucky, you have a RevOps person who's seen it before and is really strict on what they'll allow. And that can help with a lot of the pain. I think there's nothing more powerful than a data team that works really closely with the RevOps team because those lines are super blurry. And the more you two want to sort of help and support each other because you both are suffering the same types of pain, the better. But I have seen it done well. Uh, I think if you can get rid of the leads object altogether in Salesforce, like that's 80% of the pain gone right away. And if you have really strict rules about what you'll allow and how you do your reporting, um, for example, not everything goes into contact an opportunity in an account. Sometimes you need custom objects to represent the custom entities in your business. So you have an organization concept in your backend and teams roll up to orgs. Don't just sync all your orgs into accounts. Sync your orgs into your Salesforce organization object. That way you're kind of keeping these things in sync. And then you can develop custom rules for how orgs and accounts are related. Those are hard rules to learn, but they're not impossible. You just need people with experience who've done it before. I, I think you just made a little ebook with that last minute, right? <laughs> Get rid of the leads it. object. Yeah. <laughs> You've eliminated 80% of your problems. Have a macro org that account and other types of company sort of entities roll up to. It gives you fluidity with contact as company entity. Yeah. Yeah, that, I, I think there's huge value in that. And Pedro would be great to look at, at doing something like that. Let's shift our attention a little bit. Recently, you ran data at HighTouch, a reverse ETL provider, which is one of the darlings of the modern data stack, let's say. The modern data stack, for those who are listening or not familiar, I'll give my layman's definition, is warehouse ETL, reverse ETL, in order particularly to fulfill the need, the data needs of business systems like CRM, marketing automation, user data, um, and bring that all together, create a single source of truth in the warehouse. Usually there's some transformation and quality tools on top of the warehouse that help clean it up and get it looking pretty. But you're not a huge fan of that approach anymore, is my understanding. Uh, it's not that I'm not a huge fan. I mean, I still, with many of the clients I consult with today, I still use parts of a modern data stack. Right. I think there's a lot of power in something as simple as TBT, Snowflake, and Fivefram. It can really get teams of zero almost running these days, which is pretty great. Uh, I think where it kind of gets a little bit harder to swallow this pill is um, some of this idea that there's 15 different components in a data stack these days, and we need all of them to operate correctly. 
or we're, that we're, we're going to do examples of of those components. I think that's important for people to hear. Oh gosh, um, um, data quality on top. Those are some metadata um, orchestration. There's the BI layer. There's data contracts. Probably coming up. Yeah. There's more, I'm sure. I don't want to like call out any one particular part of that, but it certainly feels like a very decoupled architecture, uh, like microservices for data, which does sound like a nightmare. I don't think you need all of it. Uh, I think at the end of it, as simple as possible is best. Mm. And then if your company's big enough, then maybe 15 different components isn't great. And maybe some of these bigger all-in-one solutions is actually beneficial. You don't really want to deal with 14 different vendors every time contract season is up. Um, now, do you see what, that, right, in this economic climate, everyone's talking about layoffs, and consolidation is the name of the day, right? Do you yeah. see data tooling as under the microscope, you know, if, if you were to put whatever CFO hat have available on right i we're talking essentially about possible bloat right where there might be opportunities to to do more with less i think so um if we look at the minimum set of requirements just to get a data stack running three is already kind of a lot for some people and some teams and so if someone says hey i can wrap all three into one vendor and maybe you get a little bit of discount on top. So long as that still gives you the power to do all the things you do you need to do, that could be pretty appealing. And there's been a few companies kind of emerging in this space. There's like Mozart, Kabula, um, probably missing a few others who have taken this sort of all-in-one approach. I think those right now, anyway, my sense is that they kind of work until they don't, which is for me, a non-starter. Um, I've worked with these sort of managed services before in my time. And if something goes wrong, I need to be able to go all the way down to the fundamental levels of the things I'm operating on to fix it or understand it. Maybe it's a permission level thing. Maybe it's like uh, performance related. If I can't do that, then these all-in-one solutions, I can't use them, but they might be fine for, I guess, simpler use cases. Uh, but I would love to see some type of managed service that does these th these three or four things really well. And the other place I think we're gonna see consolidation for sure is BI. Mm -hmm. Right now, there's like the amplitudes for product analytics. Um, there's Tableau or Looker or Lightdash or Sigma for like core BI. Then there's like hacks and deep note for your notebooky type analysis. Do I really want three different BI, VI visualization solutions, or do I just want one? We were talking about um, possible all-in-one solutions. Obviously, Pedro, I haven't given you a demo of Syncery um, yet. Our, our preferred all-in-one solution at Syncery. But um, no, that's great. I, I think the perspective is important, right? The, the idea, we, we've met resistance in our own uh, conversations, right? Just being transparent here with people saying things like, this is too good to be true. There's no way you can do this many things in one tool, right? 
in my head, the sort of, I'm not a data person, mind, is, um, well, isn't this why people innovate on technology, right? Is to try to do more with less. It's kind of the whole heart of automation, right? The first um, uh, Henry Ford attempts at it, right, uh, at scale and how we got here and what we're hoping to all get is, is better lives. Can you speak briefly to the, the emotional state that you think most data leaders at growth stage companies are in as they try to cobble together something elegant with a lot of decoupled solutions that fulfills on business value objectives while being asked to consolidate cut costs? Right? I can only imagine what that's like. I think there's this easy target when you're in that situation to think that what you're actually facing is a data problem. Um, but I would guarantee you that at that stage, it's really people in process. And so you might want to add a data tool to solve this and that what ends up happening, right? Like you think, oh, well, people are coming to me with too many requests and I can't fulfill them all. And our team is too small. Well, we'll just make self-serve. Let's go buy a self-serve tool. Oh, well, they can't find all the data they need in the self-serve tool. Okay, well, all we need now is a metadata layer that gives them access to that. And then one thing leads to another and you have 15 tools in your stack and no one's using any of them. Um, I think what's really going on is you probably have a people problem, right? If you're not communicating with each other, if you're not building the right things, if your priorities aren't aligned, a tool is not going to solve that. It's fair to say a design problem, right? Requirements gathering to development to output data as a product thinking could really help in this climate. A hundred percent. I think it's like just back to basics, like step back a little bit, look overall at what's going on at the org and where are things falling apart. It's rare that a tool is the solution to those things. Maybe it's just a meeting you need. Maybe it's a once a week meeting with three or four stakeholders where you talk through what you've seen in a report and a dashboard you created and you investigate the most important thing that week and you come back to them with results by Friday. Like that's a process that you could institute to solve a problem where a tool might not really help. Yeah. And a way of surfacing those burning house needs that um, will make people trust data leaders more as partners in in driving business value, um, as you've said, is so important. Well, um, you know, thank you so much for coming on, Pedro. I think your background, your experience is hugely valuable. And we at Singer really love finding data leaders who share your perspectives on driving business value, being part of business outcomes, part of the go-to-market story. Um, especially. Do you have any closing thoughts for us before we wrap up in terms of maybe something that a, a listening data leader can do today, a thing they could Google to learn, a, a, an acronym that might be useful or a concept that <laughs> they could attach to in the near term? Uh, I would say go to the lines of your business, spend 25 minutes with them and ask them, 
what their worries are for the next year and find one way to sort of help them understand that fear. That'll get you a long way. I think that's excellent. And we'll close on that thought. Thank you, Pedro, for your time with us. And uh, yeah. this was the Distributed Truth Podcast by Sinkery. Thank you for listening to the Distributed Truth Podcast. Check out our other episodes or visit Sinkery.com to learn more about unified customer data. That's S-Y-N-C-A-R-I, Sinkery.com. Thank you and have a great day. Thank you.